Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica, here with my good friend, Evangelist Simudis, who I've known for many years, primarily as a venture capital investor, but now he's also doing some advising to uh, large corporations. Welcome to the Data Show, Evangelist. Ben, it's good to be with you. So first, a little bit of your background to introduce you to our audience. As I mentioned, you were most recently a VC, but uh, uh, to up your uh, technical cred for our audience, you do have a uh, technical background from Caltech and as well as a PhD in computer science from Brandeis, correct? Yeah, that's correct. I uh, did my, uh, my PhD back in the 80s in the area of machine learning and uh, very large databases. Oh, so back then, I would imagine uh, the term, what term would they have used back then? Was it uh, knowledge discovery and data mining? Um, so um, machine learning was obviously a part of AI at that time. So uh, that was being used, but uh, knowledge discovery in databases was a field that I actually started along with my still good friends, uh, Gregory Biaterski Shapiro and Usama Fayyad. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, we had given many of the uh, early seminars in that, uh, on that um, topic. Uh, we wrote quite a bit uh, together and uh, spoke in, uh, in various conferences and other venues. Uh, and, and then we kind of like uh, continued to interact from, from different vantage points. I, uh, um, I started a, a company that I went to IBM to run their, their BI uh, business intelligence organization. Then I did another startup, so those were during the 90s. Yusama um, uh, uh, stayed more on corporate research uh, and, and then did startups uh, towards the end of the 90s. Uh, now he's back into corporate world. Uh, and Gregory did uh, both uh, corporate work as well as consulting and, and writing. So, but uh, we, uh, and, and he remains extremely active in the KDD as it's yeah, called. KDD, uh, yeah. And Osama, I believe, uh, ended up at some point inside Microsoft and then Yahoo, right? Uh, yeah, he was at, uh, he was at Microsoft, uh, he was at Yahoo, and now he uh, is at Barclays. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, uh, I think back then, actually, uh, I don't think people talked about machine learning. It was mostly data mining. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, it depends who you were, who you were talking to in the, in the more academic space. It was, uh, you were talking about machine learning in the, in the more commercial space. Uh, data mining was, uh, was used more, uh, more prevalent way. Uh, so when I was when I was running IBM's uh, organization, we were talking uh, a lot about data mining, and even in the in the marketing uh, literature and other marketing campaigns they had, they were they were using the term uh, data mining. Uh, and now they have moved to uh, with the times to move to use more the term big data. So one of the things that uh, I've talked to you about in the past is open source, right? So yeah. Um, particularly in the data space, in big data. Uh, nowadays, many of the most popular tools or originally were open source projects and continue to be open source projects uh, that resulted in enterprise software startups. Uh, so now I'm talking about technologies like Hadoop, Spark, Kafka, and so on, Cassandra. Yeah. Uh, so you were an investor for many years. So 
you probably evaluated many of these open source projects as potential investments. So uh, can you talk a little bit about the challenges facing people who want to turn a popular open source project yeah. to an enterprise software company? So uh, I started my investment career actually in 2000, and I continued to uh, to invest in uh, early stage uh, companies. And uh, during these 15, 16 years that I've been an investor, I've uh, I've always been investing like at the intersection of, of data, cloud, and, and internet. And, and within that realm, I have seen uh, several uh, business plans for um, companies, obviously, uh, around uh, open source. I've never been um, a great proponent of that of those companies. I, I very much appreciate open source. Uh, I, I encourage my portfolio companies to use uh, open source components as appropriate. Um, but I've never seen the business model as being uh, one that is particularly easy to to win and build big companies around. I mean, uh, everybody points to to Red Hat. Uh, and that may be the exception, uh, but I, um, I have not seen companies that have on one hand remain true to the open source, uh, principles, uh, and, and become big and successful, uh, companies that do not require constant investment. In other words, they, they can be standalone, uh, standalone companies. So for, for that, so with, with those beliefs, I have avoided uh, investing in, um, in companies that are trying to commercialize open source projects. Uh, though, as I said, I'm a, I'm a proponent of the type of software. And I guess uh, the challenge there is that uh, usually it's the case that the core software is free, but then you might have some layers above the core that's not free, so kind of that open core model. And also, I guess, uh, you have services and training as another source of revenue. Yeah, and, and the revenue uh, the, the revenue streams never prove to be sufficient for building big companies. So I think the companies that have started from, from open source uh, in order to, to to become big and successful, and as I said, not to always need outside investment, uh, were the ones that at some point decided to to become far more proprietary in their model and in the services that they deliver, or they will become pure professional services companies as opposed to support services companies, and and then they they reach the, the necessary levels of success. So. I've looked, uh, in fact, even within big data, I'm, I'm a big proponent of companies that provide uh, services around big data, uh, professional services, and um, because I think it is it is absolutely it is absolutely necessary to in order to um, to deal with the demand and that, that exists out there. Um, but uh, again, these these companies may be using open source software in order to provide these professional services, but I don't consider those to be open source companies and they're not being funded on the back of their open source model. Um, but uh, I guess, uh, so you've got uh, the open source technologies uh, um, and you can, you, you know, there are companies that have more than one open source technology in their staff and I guess that's interesting, but ultimately, I think it's all about applications. And uh, can you, 
can you foresee though that one of these open source based companies become a place uh, becomes a company where these applications become built um i well first of all i think we are in the very early innings of the kind of big data application uh wave that that's an area that uh today occupies my my investment activity almost exclusively um i believe that um so first of all uh, let's uh, just for the audience uh, i think here you and i are kind of talking about the same thing which is kind of these intelligent applications applications that rely on a lot of data but uh rely on uh, machine learning and maybe even real-time data, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are applications that in in some way uh, process uh, heterogeneous uh, real-time or not real-time uh, data that uh, in order to address a problem, most of them in the process of, of doing that, they, they use uh, some type of uh, in intelligent processing, whether it is machine learning or whether it's some other form of AI. But yeah, indeed, these are the kind of these are the kind of applications that and, I'm uh, that I'm talking about. I know that you're a fan of kind of the much more verticalized applications as as opposed to kind of these general purpose tools and platforms. Right? Um, actually, I'm I'm a fan of applications, uh, be it horizontal or vertical. Uh, I but indeed I'm a, I'm a fan of the application layer and applications that are built. Uh, typically on on the infrastructures that that have been uh, that that either have been deployed or are being deployed and, and in fact uh, one of the observations that I have and why I have become now increasingly interested at uh, on big data applications is because I believe uh, over the past few years you know three four years corporations uh, especially the earlier adopters, have um, uh, have laid down the big data infrastructure. Uh, they have seen benefits from from experiments or from early uh, efforts with these infrastructures, and they're now uh, interested in bringing the benefits of these infrastructures closer to their to their business and, and the business units and business users. And uh, as a result, and, and that, that, that need gives rise to the need for uh, big data applications, uh, typically analytic applications. Um, so but th very, very much tuned to their, to their domain and business, right? Uh, yeah, very, very much so. Uh, but again, some of them maybe so I've, I've looked at and actually have invested in one of them. Uh, interesting applications around sales enablement. So uh, there are a few companies uh, that that work on this topic, and these are sophisticated. I ended up uh, investing in a company called TopOps. It's a uh, you know very sophisticated application that brings together a variety of of data and then uses predictive modeling uh, in order to um, to analyze and, and predict uh, actions in a in a sales pipeline. Uh, that's very much a horizontal application. Um, on the other hand, uh, I've been... I've you know, been... there's a lot of... Uh, actually, I've, it seems like there's a lot of startups doing kind of that sales predictive analytics for sale. And a lot of them are actually uh, in the Salesforce ecosystem in many ways, right? 
Um, th there are, I would say, there are many companies that um, that are looking to capitalize on sales data, and sales data has a, a variety of forms, and produce reports from from the, from that data. Uh, I so these are one form of analytic applications, but those applications do not necessarily use predictive modeling. So if you want to to talk about truly, you know, intelligent analytic big data applications that incorporate not only the, the data characteristics, uh, but also uh, have the, uh, the analytic uh, and predictive characteristics, I think there are far fewer uh, companies that, that can do that. One of them is top ops, but, but there are uh, not all of the companies can do uh, this, they have this predictive capability, though all of them have, anal have reporting capability. Actually, uh, it's interesting. A good friend of mine, Kira Radinsky, is uh, well known in uh, the machine learning world, is a co-founder of a startup called, I forget, Sales Predict. But she pointed out, actually, in, uh, in many areas of sales, it's not big data, it's small data. Well, uh, and, and this is where, where I believe now corporations are starting to, um, to become smarter and more demanding. Uh, so what they're starting to realize is that, um, in order to, to look at, to, to create differentiating solutions and, and get, uh, you know, uh, very important results, you may need to, to fuse together a variety of, of uh, data types uh, in order to make uh, the right prediction. So I'll talk about a different, another company that I'm, I'm also considering right now, a company called Percolata. And uh, Percolata brings together uh, data uh, from, um, from HR, weather data, traffic data, and automotive traffic data, uh, store traffic data in order to, uh, to, to identify what is the optimal schedule to have in, in large retail stores. Uh, similarly, you know, Top Ops is, is not only looking at uh, the pipeline data, even though the, the objective is to be able to make better predictions about pipeline, but it brings together uh, other other data such as order data, such as uh, competitive uh, data that uh, the the corporation can provide in order to um, in order to make uh, the, to train its models and, and make the right prediction. So so while the actual sales data may be small in your characterization, the the data that is being brought to bear in order right. to to train the models is is a lot larger and, and and has the characteristics of what we call big data. Right, right. So the data that's being used to enrich the original data is huge. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I know that you've been following Watson. I'm not exactly sure in what capacity, but uh, so what do you think of Watson, uh, the different kind of uh, applications that are coming out of Watson, particularly the ones that... Uh, IBM itself are building like the ones for healthcare and stuff. Yeah, uh, so I, I've been fortunate enough to to be involved with Watson from from its early days, um, and and I owe this really to my to my very strong relationship with uh, with IBM. Um, and uh, what was also interesting is around the time that uh, IBM was bringing forward the 
Jeopardy version of Watson, I had been writing about uh, this concept, which I call insight as a service, uh, which is the ability of systems to not only identify correlations, but to identify a variety of relations which they can then link to to a set of actions, to plans, in other words, whose uh, effectiveness, the plan effectiveness, can be evaluated through a set of uh, key performance indicators. So so that's what we call insightful systems. And, um, you know, for me, uh, Watson is probably one of the best examples of an insightful system. You know, IBM calls it cognitive computing. Uh, so I, I think it's a it's a wonderful kind of next generation platform that incorporates the you know what we want to see in these systems, meaning the ability to uh, to fuse, uh, integrate, kind of manage very large quantities of diverse diverse data, uh, the ability to uh, create uh, and manage and utilize ontologies in in a variety of fields. And then the ability to make these, these data and ontologies and, and predictive, predictive models and other relations uh, available to applications through, through uh, APIs so that they can, uh, so that they can address uh, a variety of, of problems. So I think they've spent a lot of time creating the first, uh, the first version of that uh, commercial Watson platform. And they're now working on the on enhancing the ecosystem of applications that uh, both their own and third-party applications. I think they're, as you alluded to, the work that they have done in uh, in healthcare is particularly uh, noted uh, because it, it also you know points to uh, where the future of AI is heading. I mean, we have I remember twenty or so years ago, twenty twenty-five years ago. We had a generation of, of AI systems that was very much uh, based on uh, uh, rules, you know, the so-called expert system. Right, were, right, right. That uh, didn't really, that didn't really scale, right? So- they didn't scale. They were quite brittle. Yeah. Uh, whereas now, with uh, with this uh, ontology-driven and data-driven systems, I think we have. Uh, the ability to create uh, far more intelligent, but also far more scalable and robust. Uh, robust systems. I, I said, I'm very excited about where uh, where IBM is taking this. Uh, I think the application developers are starting to embrace it. Uh, I think we will see some uh, great results uh, over the next uh, over the next year in a variety of domains. I think the the results that they demonstrated around oncology. Uh, with the work that they've done with uh, Sloan Kettering and MD Anderson and Mayo Clinic, you know, those, those all those uh, medical centers, I think is uh, actually quite impressive. So actually, uh, which reminds me, you know, I mean, this whole area of, uh, I guess, analytics, AI, uh, there's these uh, kind of these major schools and tribes, right? So as you pointed out, there were the people in the expert systems, there's people who use genetic algorithms. Yeah. There's people who use uh, deep learning. Uh, people who use Bayesian networks and, and uh, Bayesian algorithms. Uh, what else? So there's another group of people who use uh, support vector machines and then decision trees. Yeah. So does so Watson Watson kind of bridges across these many tribes? Is that correct? 
Uh, yeah, Watson uses uh, what, is, what has come to be called ensemble learning, so a variety of, of learning approaches uh, to create uh, various classifiers on, on similar, on, on, the same, on the same topic, on the same predictor. Uh, and then uh, it's able to, um, to use a kind of like a selection method to, to decide uh, whose uh, suggestion, whose, whose classifier's uh, decision it will use as, it, uh, as its uh, prevailing decision. But uh, it also provides access to the user to, give, to, to see what, other, what the other classifiers uh, were uh, were recommending, so I, th I think that's that's an important uh, differentiation. Uh, but again, the point here and the recognition that the Watson team made is that there isn't a single learning method, machine learning method, that will always produce the best results. So if you're if you're able to to use that the ensemble learning approach, you're um, you're increasing your probability of of getting to the right answer uh, more frequently. So actually, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that, if anything, this whole uh, age of big data has, uh, has kind of uh, emphasized is that at the end of the day, it's really features that matter more so than algorithms. Uh, precisely. And uh, I, I think that's why we are, whether it is corporations or agencies or governments or or universities, there are research groups, they're, they're paying so much attention on their data scientists. Uh, and unfortunately, um, uh, I don't believe that uh, we will ever be able to, to produce as many data scientists as we, uh, as we will need. Uh, so we need to change uh, our, our paradigm. And that's why, again, I think it is important to be, to be developing analytic applications, you know, big data applications where uh, some of this knowledge uh, can be encapsulated the application layer uh, so that we will not always be needing to use a data scientist for every time that we, we crank through, through the data. Or, or uh, I guess even empower the domain experts and the domain experts might be business analysts. Yes, precisely. You need to bring, as I said, you need to bring the analytics and the ability to make um, data-driven decision much closer to to the decision point, right? Which in this case is the, is the business user uh, rather than the uh, the data scientist. I mean, again, one of the uh, one of the trends that I'm seeing uh, more recently is that even corporations that have been blessed with the ability to have a, a large cadres of of, uh, of data scientists, they are no longer keeping them as Kind of like independent groups, but they're uh, dispersing them and bringing them much closer to the to the business, or they're trying to train some of their business users on how to be let's call them decent data data scientists, so that they can feel much more comfortable uh, working with data. But um, uh, but this is a, this is a big problem that particularly corporations uh, face, and uh, and that's why again uh, why uh, applications I think and and tools like uh, insight as a, that provide insight as a service can be uh, particularly important. But there's also I guess the other uh, the other thing about these tools is that uh, you still need to tune them for a domain, right? So for example, yes. I believe that the 
if you look at uh, Watson for Jeopardy, it was very tuned for that task. And then yeah. same thing for healthcare. And in fact, I'm advising a startup, clearcutanalytics.com, that came out of a Stanford project called Deep Dive. Yeah. And they're building very specific uh, vertical apps. Uh, and uh, they have a tool that does knowledge extraction at, at the high precision at massive scale, but yeah. it's still kind of do- tuned for specific domains. Yes. Yeah, I, I think uh, what what Watson, uh, one of the the early uh, realizations of training Watson uh, was uh, uh, how difficult, how laborious it is to uh, create ontologies. And, and what I mean by that is kind of ingest data, whether it is free text or, or other form of image data, uh, you know, typically unstructured data. And and you uh, and out of that ingestion create uh, a, a, an ontology, you know, a knowledge base which can then be used uh, by uh, you know in, in order to address to, to solve the, the kind of problems that, that you need uh, that you need solved. Um, you, you may recall back in the late eighties and, and early nineties there was a. There was a project called Psych CYC out of uh, it started out of MCC down in Austin. Uh, a few uh, Stanford researchers that had moved down there. Uh, Doug Lennett was the the principal investigator, um, and and later they tried to create that more as an independent entity. And in that case, you know, they, that was supposed to be a kind of a general purpose ontology which was completely handcrafted and at the end it didn't scale because it was it needed to be handcrafted right uh, the the i think the the big leap that again going back to watson that watson is taking is that they realizing this type of scalability issues uh, they have spent as much time uh, creating tools for ontology creation as they are spending in in uh, developing tools for uh, prediction and uh, and analysis. So let's switch gears here. So it's uh, uh, recently you've been uh, also doing kind of consulting and strategic uh, advising of uh, corporate innovation officers, right? So. Tell us a little bit about that and tell us uh, uh, the role of data in, yeah. uh, in, uh, in some of these uh, efforts. So as, as you, you know, um, many, many corporations are flocking to Silicon Valley to try to understand uh, what makes this ecosystem click. And, and they're doing that uh, as they try to uh, develop their own corporate innovation initiatives. And uh, so, is, uh, so are they trying to basically uh, make sure they don't get blindsided or are they trying to kind of uh, kind of re-engineer their culture so they have a little bit of the Silicon Valley mojo? Uh, There are many different goals of why they're coming here. One of them is uh, because they want to to understand uh, certain technologies that we are known for, such as big data, such as uh, uh, software. Um, Another one is to try to to understand how how startups uh, work in terms of methods such as lean startup or design thinking. Uh, Another one is to, um, uh, to, to try to 
to partner with, uh, with startups and in this way, to your point, not be blindsided. So there, there, are, many, there are many reasons. There isn't a single reason. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, as I've been, the more I work with them, uh, the, the more I realize that, um, uh, you know, depending on the industry, in fact, there might be different reasons to be, uh, uh, to, to be here in our area. I mean, again, a, a great example is what's happening in the automotive world, uh, the, the success and, and that um, Tesla and that uh, Google has had with their, with their cars. And now apparently, uh, and now apparently, Apple is hiring people as well. And now Apple, and there's an entire ecosystem. I mean, I, I have built a, a database of uh, startups that are uh, working in the in the overall automotive value chain, and I have been surprised at how many how many companies uh, occupy the, the various parts of that value chain. But again, they're they're seeing this. They want to they want to partner with some of them. They want to understand. Uh, what technologies they want to, to scout, in other words, um, they want to incorporate uh, some of these approaches to their own um, to, to their own uh, uh, research and development. I mean, autonomous cars is a great example. I mean, most of the uh, Silicon Valley labs, automotive uh, labs, uh, are working on autonomous cars and on connected cars. I mean, these are the two basic projects, both of which, by the way, are extremely big data rich. Um, so, 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 what, uh, so is there particular aspects of big data and data science that stand out in terms of your conversations? Yeah, actually, I, I, I think, um, again, for me, the most of the advising, the innovation-based advising I do is around uh, big data because uh, corporations realize the strategic importance of data in the, these growth initiatives, and and they're starting to to move beyond uh, experimentation um, and and also out as I said before out of the the hands of, of IT and they're bringing this they they realize that they need to bring this technology uh, these innovations closer to the to the end user. Um, I think also many corporations are starting to, to realize that um, uh, going forward, uh, data may, be, may become not only an important decision point for them, but also an important revenue stream for them. So they're, they're trying to, um, to, to innovate uh, through, through data, and um, that, that's where, um, where I work with them. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that I think that uh, many of the internet startups here realize right away, right? The notion of data product. R right. I, I think, and again, going back to your earlier question about why do they come, uh, why do corporations come here? Because they realize that in terms of big data expertise and uh, know-how, uh, Silicon Valley uh, private companies, whether it is early stage startups or, or later stage private companies, have an advantage which they they would like to tap on. I know you also actually. So you grew up in Greece, so you have a lot of connections in the EU. I know you still either consult or at least help some folks back there. So uh, what uh, what are you sensing in terms of? Uh, uh, Big data and data science on that side of the Atlantic. Yeah, so so for, um, particularly uh, for enterprises. Yeah, yeah. For, for uh, I would say that um, first of all, the, you know, we're talking about corporations coming to the valley. 
uh, I would say both uh, European and, and Asian corporations are leading uh, the, the way in terms of uh, the, the ones that are you know, corporations from outside our area coming here to, uh, to be quote unquote educated around, around innovation. Um, I, uh, I, I think that I would say that use such trends and approaches and, and attitudes uh, of, uh, towards big data uh, differ, uh, and I would say not only differ between, say, Europe and U.S., but even within Europe, uh, the, the European Union, different countries have uh, very, very different approaches. Some of these approaches uh, uh, have to do with with local laws. Uh, other ones have to do more with, as I said, the attitudes and the um, and the and the, and the practices. Um, there, uh, there is a, say, there is a lag between U.S. and and other parts of the world on how data is combined and and used to derive uh, insights and competitive advantage. Um, I think even in Europe, uh, internet companies are ahead or in the utilization of data, uh, like they are here, uh, compared to uh, corporations from from other industries. Um, and uh, again, what I'm about uh, what about uh, one of your new area of interest, which is uh, uh, car companies in Europe? Are they also are they paying attention to the type of things you're tracking? Uh, I think car certain car companies are uh, are very uh, much uh, ahead in their thinking uh, compared compared to other to uh, compared to european companies from other industries i think the uh, one of the big issues that, that they're facing is um, ownership of data you know so they i think they need to start clarifying who owns what data i thought you uh, were going to say one of the issues they were facing is that they are massaging the data volkswagen uh, <laughs> no I, I think that that has to do with software not, not, not with data. Um, but but i i also think that they um uh, you know, the, you know, privacy, uh, there is a, uh, you know, has very different sensitivity than, right. than, uh, we have than has here in the U.S. And, uh, so how, again, what data to combine, how, how much to analyze data. I think this is in the, in the forefront of their, of their thinking. But I think they're starting to realize whether it is because of, Autonomous cars, which produce a ton of uh, autonomous and connected cars, produce a, a ton of, of data. Uh, but also, when you go to kind of like higher level data, whether it is from warranties, whether it is from uh, from from usage, whether it is from for in, you know, um, in insurance and accident purpose uh, uh, data, uh, that um, how much of that to access, how much of that to combine. In order to make decisions, is something that they they're still studying. So, in terms of uh, what's your sense in terms of uh, these large corporations uh, setting up kind of small small uh, teams out here in the valley? Do you think that's paying off for uh, most of them, or are, is it just kind of a, something that they? Uh, they're doing because their competitors are doing. So, what's your sense? Um, as as you can imagine, there there is no uh, one answer to that. Um, I I think that there are. In fact, I'm I'm just finishing off a, a new post on um, 
the on how innovation outposts, corporate innovation outposts, uh, develop and I mean establish, develop and grow. Uh, there are companies that are making uh, great use uh, of their of their outposts. Um, you know whether it is through their um, venture groups, whether it is through incubators. I mean, I, I will I will point Samsung as a as a great great right. example of a company that um, established in the valley. They have an accelerator. They have a, a venture group. Uh, they have obviously their their local uh, R&D, and, and out of, of those initiatives, they have built a, a very big presence. Uh, Verizon is another company uh, of, of that type. In fact, Verizon uh, expanded in the Valley much faster than, than uh, Samsung. There are other companies... And actually, that, actually uh, now that you point out Samsung, actually some of the Chinese large Chinese internet companies have done a good job as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, Their you know, automotive companies uh, have, have also taken a kind of steady uh, approach. Some of them are newer entrants to the valley with the smaller groups. Others, they have uh, quite large. I mean, Mercedes, BMW, those, those companies have uh, quite uh, well-developed outposts uh, here, which are working well with the uh, um, with the headquarters and, and other business units. Uh, so th there isn't, again, there isn't a, a single answer. I think by, by and large, the, the companies that uh, are thinking seriously about uh, innovation uh, and they're thinking seriously about why Silicon Valley is the right place to be in order to achieve their innovation goals, uh, they they will do they will do well and they are doing well. Uh, other but there are many many corporations which uh, are uh, being here because they you know they know that one of their competitors is here or because they felt that they needed to to start something in innovation uh, and the, the most likely place to start it is Silicon Valley and and those I think that will probably not survive it once once we hit the next recession or once the corporation hits some sort of a, a problem a rough patch. All right, so now let's talk a little bit about some trends in the data space that affect the types of companies and corporations you have been uh, speaking with. So first off, cloud computing, right? So on on the surface, actually, it's funny. Last week, I just was having a conversation with someone from a large Wall Street bank. And in many ways, right, so the feeling is that it's just a matter of time before more and more of the enterprise workload moves to the cloud because it just makes a lot of sense, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, it seems like we're on the cusp and I'm seeing it happen in analytics, at least on the analytics side, right? Uh, so what's your sense about enterprises and cloud computing? Um, I think it has taken a lot longer than I ever predicted it would. I mean, I said so you I must mean, have invested in a few startups. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I've been that were way ahead of the uh, time. Yeah, since uh, since two thousand. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, but I think increasingly corporations of of different sizes, right, uh, feel comfortable with cloud based solutions. Uh, and both at the application layer and the tool layer and in the infrastructure layer. And the governance and security and all of that, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, now, I think uh, th there, are, uh, there, there are still certain 
whether it is through regulation, there are still certain taboos that, uh, that uh, inhibit the even broader acceptance and usage of cloud-based solutions. But again, if I were to look at my, my portfolio companies, uh, even the ones that, that are not kind of big data uh, related, they are uh, they are seeing a, kind of like a strong strong uh, demand for their for their solutions, and and these are all cloud based uh, solutions. So so I think we're on the we're we're finally on the on, on the, the the track that we had we as early investors had predicted a few years ago, and uh, as they say, better late than never. So so I'm 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 very optimistic. Uh, I'm very optimistic about cloud computing. Uh, I think also mobility is is bringing another uh, dimension to that and, and is uh, making people feel. I mean, as as certain and, and also I guess I think just the operational complexity of uh, of some of the data platforms and infrastructure in the cloud. You don't have to uh, uh, be the sys admin for all of these things. You can yeah, just, absolutely. You can, absolutely. You can just piece them together and concentrate on what you need to do, which is to run your business. Right? Yeah, yeah. There, there are uh, there are financial reasons. There are complexity reasons. There are update and 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 uh, you know novelty reasons. There, there are a variety of reasons why uh, cloud computing uh, always makes sense. And, and as we move uh, along, you know, corporations realize that indeed it makes a lot of sense and they are, and they are adopting. But there's one, there's one thing that seems to always uh, be lurking in the background, which is storing their data. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, just, the, uh, you know, uh, enterprises have to be comfortable storing their data in the cloud, right? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, that's what I said before. There are, there are still certain industries or pockets, you know, certain sub-segments of industries that um, either because of regulation or, or for other reasons, they um, they tend to uh, not, not they, they, they tend not to want to, to have their um, their data in the cloud. Uh, some in some cases uh, they may be they may feel more comfortable have compute in the cloud where they kind of like temporarily move some data and uh, to be computed, and then you bring it you bring it in house again in uh, kind of like these hybrid solutions. In other cases, um, you always want your your solution to be on premise, and I, I don't think we will uh, we will ever get away from this hybrid world. I mean, even you know, we, even for those of us as if we have been investing early in the space. We never thought that there will come a time that the, everything will be in the cloud. But uh, what is encouraging is that increasing amounts of data and computation are moving to the cloud. So IoT and real time. It seems like, uh, again, it's uh, actually that kind of related to the cloud in many ways, right? So. It is. And, and I, you know, we we're talking earlier about automotive. Um, I, uh, I think what is happening with autonomous cars is probably a very good example of um, IoT uh, and, and needing both uh, edge computing or computing at the edge as well as computing at the cloud. So if you, if you look at autonomous cars, uh, the, 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 the prediction uh, or, uh, predictions are being done on board, right? On board the vehicle, be it, be it uh, at the edge of the of the network, whereas the 
the training of the predictive models, uh, the data collection and management from the data is uh, collected by the car and the management of that data uh, is being done in the cloud. So uh, yesterday I was at a conference uh, around uh, the next generation automobiles and um, you know, we're talking about the fact that uh, the, the, the predictive models that are being used uh, onboard vehicles now, onboard these autonomous vehicles, uh, may, may take weeks or even months of training. Uh, that training obviously requires a lot of compute power, which is not possible to have it uh, on the vehicle. It doesn't make sense because also you, you want to train your models uh, using data from a variety of, from, from all sorts of vehicles. So again, this is a, you know, to me, autonomous cars provide an excellent example of, of this um, a need for both edge computing as well as cloud-based computing. So you've got the training happening in a uh, data platform somewhere and then the actual scoring and prediction in an embedded system. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what do enterprises think about the hype around AI? Well, um, I think that... Um, whether it is machine learning, deep learning, AI, uh, I think these, uh, these terms, uh, are now re-entering the vocabulary of, of most corporations. So is there a sense of urgency around it? I think there is a sense of urgency to understand, to, to be educated. Now, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that every corporation needed. So I, I talk to and work with financial services institutions who, um, you know, they, they, they know everything that there is to know and, and they want to, to understand, uh, how, how the particular techniques that uh, you talk to them about work and how they're different from the ones that they are already using. But the, the average corporation, I will say, needs to be educated. Um, and many corporations in the process of this education realize that they do not have the, the skill set uh, in-house to take full advantage of these technologies. Uh, and um, uh, also they realize, I mean, if they, if, for, for for corporate employees that had been that had been around a while and have seen what had happened, how AI was used in the past, as we were talking about earlier, yeah, yeah. Uh, what is different now? So, so again, there's a need for education. There's a there's a need for uh, companies that are offering these solutions to to be more patient with with these corporations. Uh, I think examples such as Siri, by the way, you know, which are these uh, uh, this, con consumer uh, uses of, of AI technologies, make now the, these technologies far more approachable uh, and uh, make, again, we were talking earlier about Watson, make the acceptance of systems like Watson uh, much, much easier. Uh, but uh, again, we, we are uh, we are not ready for for a wholesale adoption uh, of AI and intelligent systems across every type of corporation. You know, as you were talking there, I, it just dawned on me, right? So, if you accept the premise that uh, features are important, so therefore data is important. In many ways, in many of these industries, the organization that has the best data will emerge as the winner, right? So think about 
uh, Google and search and the amount of images they have and things like that. So is something like that bound to happen even in like the automotive industry? Because basically your your AI system or your algorithm is only as good as your data. It's, it's as good as, I mean, so I think you need uh, kind of three ingredients. Uh, you need data, uh, you need the right ways to combine the data and, and extract features from that data. And then the third ingredient is the ability to analyze the, the data and, and bring together the analysis results in a, in a way that provides these insights and, and these measurable actions. Um, I have several executives now through my advisory work who have told me that just giving me analytics doesn't really do, the, I mean, it helps me, but, but not as much. I, I need to be able to know what are the actions that, that I need to execute in response to this analytics, to the results of this analytics. So, so for me, uh, data is important. Uh, you know, valuable data is important. Uh, but suppose I own kind of, and I'm not sure this is possible. But suppose I, I, uh, I, I have an operating system which is on board many vehicles. So therefore, I'm gathering a lot of data. Yeah. Therefore, my my uh, back end algorithms will be better than anyone else's. Uh, yeah, provided though that I that I know for for what I'm trying to what I'm trying to get to what end result I'm trying to get to is how to combine that data that I'm collecting and how to extract features from that data. So I'm, I'll give you an example again since we we're talking about automotive. Um, if you look at the sensors that, that can go into an autonomous car, uh, there might be a thousand sensors. Uh, each of these sensors collects several different kind of features. So you, you may end up having millions of features uh, that, uh, that, that you're collecting right now. It doesn't mean that in order to develop a particular predictive model for, let's say, uh, some type of uh, uh, obstacle avoidance, uh, you need all of those millions of features. So, so being able to identify what are the right features, what are the right low-level features, what are the right features then to combine so that you can have information content uh, in, so that, you, that, that will drive your, your predictions. Uh, th that's, those are the important steps. And then that's why we pay our data scientists that right, we right, do. Right, right. Well, I'm just assuming I can do all of that if I have the data. <laughs> uh, well, it's 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 a good assumption, provided that everybody <laughs> understands how difficult it is. Yeah, yeah. So, any other things have caught your eye, the hardware trends, or? Well, I mean, I, I continue to be impressed. Uh, again, one of the uh, one of the discussions yesterday in this conference, again, again, sticking with the automotive thing is uh, NVIDIA kind of coming out with their GPUs yeah. that, that, that are now on board cars. I mean, this is a pretty impressive, uh, pretty impressive system. Um, I, uh, so, so that I think we will learn a lot from uh, the, the autonomous cars and, and data because they, um, the amounts of data that we are dealing in a system like this is is far larger than we we are seeing in many other domains. I mean, that's we, amazing, we, huh? GPUs and car. That's right. Yeah. So so uh, so those kind of things uh, 
uh, catch my eye. But uh, and also again, uh, being able. I mean, I'm, I'm. You mentioned earlier also uh, Watson. Uh, I, I'm I'm paying very very close attention to to that system and being able to have truly insightful systems is going to be uh, a tremendous uh, a tremendous step for us in the in our path towards intelligent systems. So that's about it. Well, Evangelist, this has been great. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you. You can follow Evangelist Simudis on Twitter at eSimudis. That's E-S-I-M-O-U-D-I-S. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode.